So in, uh, some years ago, uh, in my last assignment when I was uh, the vicar uh, for clergy, I worked with bishop and I made, helped make priest assignments and also took care of priest personnel things and also and on occasion when it was warranted, I had to maybe uh, uh, have difficult conversations with guys to maybe make some corrections, things like that. So uh, those things happened, and uh, one of the, one time, one of my good friends, uh, I had to uh, have a tough conversation with him about something, and he got angry at me, and and so we we really stopped talking after that. And we had you know prior to that we would socialize, had meals, things like that, talk, and that stopped. Uh, and I remember not too long ago praying about it and just saying, you know, Lord, you know, I, hope, I, I really want to fix this if we can and tell me what to do. And as I was praying, the Lord kind of put it on my heart to, uh, to call this guy and just to have a conversation with him, uh, just invite him to lunch. You know? So I called him. My first thought was, well, why doesn't he call me? But no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I called him, and he says, what are you calling for? I said, well, I, I said, I miss you. I said, I miss our conversations and, and just getting together, hanging out. So, Can we have lunch? And uh, he thought about it. I said, sure, let's do, let's do that. So we got together, and I kind of went out to his place, and in his area, and we had a nice lunch. Just sat there and broke bread and talked, and we didn't talk about the thing, but we didn't need to. That's all. That's over and done with. Um, we just started up again, and that's what meals do. We had we had a meal. In the midst of the meal, uh, we had reconciliation. So it wasn't about the lunch, and we could have gone to Chick Fil A, which. Again, I love Chick-fil-A, but you know, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it didn't matter. It was the fact that we sat down and we ate together. Something happens when you, when you share food with people. It changes things. It's like family. You remember the family now. We're eating together. Let's break bread. You know, we're brothers. Again. You know what I'm talking about, right? Let's think of it this way. Uh, Abraham, an old guy, got an old wife, no kids, can't have kids. And yet, uh, there's, there's this thing today where in Genesis, Abraham's at his house, his tent, and he's, all of a sudden three guys show up, unannounced. Oh, now, in the Semitic culture, this is big, right? You, when people show up at your house, you feed them. And you don't give, just give them, you know, the leftover tuna casserole that's in the back of the fridge for two weeks. You don't give them that. You, you, uh, you give them the best. The finest wheat, rolls, nice, nice, nice beef, kill the cow, there's some nice milk, wash their feet. I mean, this is a big deal. This is what you do. 
Because they're family. They come to your house. You treat them like kings. So these three guys show up. Abraham puts on the dog for them. But did you notice? He talks about them being three people, but then in the next thing he's saying one person. His, his, his pronouns switch. You're three, you're one. You're three, you're one. Well, what is that? Brothers and sisters, come on. What is that? That's the Trinity, right? Now, as Paul says, what's been hidden from Israel from ages past is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. We know who it is. That's his family that shows up, and so this family is treated like family. But let's dig a little deeper and figure out what is really going on here. Why are these guys there to begin with? And it isn't just to say, oh, your wife's going to have a son. There's something else. Back it up. Right before this reading in Genesis, there's another one. And it's, it's a big one. Now see, God comes to Abraham, this old man, can't have kids, and says, you're going to have a kid. And, you're, and he's going to be the father of a great nation, a name, and a blessing. His progeny is numerous, the stars in the sky. Big deal. God promises this to Abraham. You're going to have a son. And, and he covenants. And he does that by, remember that wild scene where he takes these animals, like a big bull and a cow and a, and a pig and a, you know, a dog or a cat and a bird, you know, it's big to small. And he slices them, not this way, but lengthwise. So the cow, the head down the body, cow falls over and it's in half. The whole, and they're all lined up, these dead animals, eviscerated. Guts, blood everywhere. It's fantastic. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, this flaming torch comes out of the darkness, passes through the, these, these carcasses. What does that mean? It means that God is telling Abraham, I promised you a kid, a son. And if I fail to deliver this promise, what happened to these animals is going to happen to me. Now, Abraham, if you fail to keep the promise, what happens to these animals happens to me. Not to you, to me. Not a bad deal for Abraham. So he's excited. And he's, he's also impatient. He's an old man. And he's like, when is this going to happen? I don't have, I don't have a lot of time. And so he jumps the gun a little bit and he's like, oh, maybe he want, wants me to hang out with Hagar, my wife's maid. So he, he does. He sleeps with his wife's slave. And she conceives and has Ishmael. Now that's a whole other kettle of fish, huh? All the crazy stuff that happened because of that, that line. But right now we're focused on Abraham and, and, and God. And God's like, what the heck? I told you, and you didn't believe me. You, you can't wait. Yeah, Abraham blew it. He's in trouble now. So God says, okay, I got to fix this. You messed up. All right? We're, you're, you're still in the family, barely. But we got to fix this. So how does he fix it? This is great stuff. He says, Abraham, I got one word for you. 
circumcision. Okay? And not just you. All your, all your family, all your male family members, all your male slaves, everybody. And Abraham's got a big tribe. And this is, so he's not the most popular guy in his family right now with the guys. <laughs> circumcision. And basically he's saying, hey, first time I took the hit. You failed, I take the hit. This time, you're going to have to suffer. It's not fatal, but you're going to hurt. You're going to be wounded at the very source of your sin, the source of your generativity. Hopefully that'll be a lesson to you. Circumcision. Now, this is where this reading from Genesis comes in. Because God is all upset with Abraham because he didn't trust him that he was going to give him a son the way he had planned. He sins with, the, with Hagar. It's not what he wanted. He wanted Sarah to be the, to be the one and she, he wanted Isaac. And he, those things happened. But there was, a, you know, Abraham's on the outs. So when God shows up at his house and says, that, you know, Abraham's like, oh my gosh, he's here. He came. He comes to my house. I must be okay. We're still family. Let's, let's eat. Sarah, everything, put it all on. Because I'm, I'm, st- I'm still in with the big guy. The meal was a communication that Abraham still shared in God's life and was still a member of God's family. That meal was a big deal. Right? The meal's the deal. Now, was that the end of it? No. We all know what happened. Yes, he had Isaac and but of all the people that Abraham should have had circumcised, who was it? Isaac. And he didn't do it. <laughs> For whatever reason. Inexplicable. So, and that led to Isaac having to be sacrificed, remember? You know, he's a teenager and he gets put on the altar and you know, Isaac's gonna, or Abraham's gonna kill him, and God says, no, no, I trust you. you, you believe me now. You are willing to sacrifice your own son because you believe, because I said he was gonna be the child of the promise and the father of a great nation, that somehow even if, I, if you killed him, I was gonna raise him from the dead. You're not afraid of death. So, don't kill him. Because I believe, you, you now, now you know. Now you trust me. So they see an animal in the thicket, they kill it, and they eat it. They have a meal. He's still in the family. After all that. Now, you're like, well, okay, we get it. The meal's important. The meal's intimacy. The meal is family. Uh, when, you know, the meal is a place where we work it all out. Yes. Absolutely. And so you got this thing today with, with Jesus, who's on his way to the cross. The ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate meal. And he stops at his friend's house, Martha and Mary, and, and, he, uh, and he's welcomed. Submitted hospitality. Martha's in the kitchen, you know, she's whipping up, uh, you know, penne arrabbiata and focaccia and, and olives and, and, you know, uh, caprese. She's doing it all, right? That's a lot of work. Lord, my sister, she's lazy. Come on, tell her to help me. No. Martha, stop it. 
You forgot what the meal's for. You forgot what my... See, I'm in your house. That's the most important thing. The food, it's, it's extra. The food's like the binder that brings us together and, and gives us an excuse to do the things that are really important. Your sister's got it. She's at my feet. She's looking at me. She's, she's got the best supper ever. She's, she's, you know, receiving me. You know, as good as your, as good as your, uh, your gravy is, it's, it's not as good as I am. The, the interpretive key to that, this gospel today, is back in Exodus, where Moses takes the 72 up the mountain to show them heaven. And they get up there and they see God face to face. And the next line is, they beheld and they ate and they drank. Now, they probably had a meal up there, yeah. But that's not what that's about. They see God and they drink him in. They see God and they consume him. They bring him into themselves. That's what this is about. That's what Martha's, Martha misses. That's what Mary understands. She beholds his face and she eats him and she drinks him. She has his life in her. She's chosen the better part and she shall not be deprived of it. Brothers and sisters, how often do we miss the point? Jesus wants to be a part of our life. He is our brother and we are, we are his uh, brothers and sisters. God is our father and we're part of a family and we blow it all the time but God is always offering us that meal by which we are brought back into the family. The meal, the meal, the meal. You know, the thing that Isaac did, uh, or Abraham and Isaac, and they were going to do the thing on Moriah and the sacrifice. He carries the wood on his back, and, and he's laid on the wood, and he's fastened to the wood. He does so willingly. That's, that was a foreshadowing of this sacrifice, this meal, whereby Christ's perfect sacrifice is that to which we are always invited, which we're here for today, to be gathered for this meal so that we can behold him, behold him, and we can eat him and we can drink him. He can become part of us. Because what does Paul say? What does Paul say? He says, Brothers and sisters, where, where is it? There is, it's in here somewhere. Here it is. He says, <laughs> I rejoice. In my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Brothers and sisters, that's perfect. There's nothing lacking in it. So what is Paul talking about? Our participation in it. We're invited, but we don't care. We're invited, but we don't follow through. We're invited, but we don't trust him. We're invited, but we don't allow his life in us to change us. That's what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Do your job. That's what he's saying. He goes, and all this stuff that in the past that Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all these other guys glimpsed indistinctly is, is through a glass darkly is made known to us and it is this. This is the key, the knowledge. Here's the mystery. Christ in you. Christ in you, Christ in you, 
Christ in you. Behold Him, eat Him, drink Him, become Him, live Him. But don't ignore Him and don't be inhospitable to Him. He's coming to your house. He's coming to your heart. He's coming to your door. Let Him in and feed Him. Not with food, but feed Him with obedience. Feed Him with your love. Feed Him with your work. Feed Him with your apostolate. Feed Him with your marriage. Feed Him with your family. Feed Him with all the things He calls upon you to do in His name so that you might, with Christ in you, be Christ for other people. That's what this is about. I think. I think. That's what when you come up to communion and you've you know, given Jesus yourself, that's the gifts, and it becomes his body and he gives it to you. Christ in you. That, rem- that requires a change in you and how you live your life. So this week, here's some homework. You want homework? I'm going to give you homework. Okay. Okay. I want you this week to eat a meal with somebody you don't want to eat a meal with. Yeah, turn the TV off. Put your cell phones away. You should do that anyways. Every family here should eat together at least once or twice a week. How can you be a family together if you don't break bread together? I just, that's, I just throw that question out there. And maybe that person you don't really want to eat with is your spouse. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's somebody you haven't talked to because they're angry at you. So call them on the phone and say, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and watch what happens. Watch what happens when you put yourself out there and you do the Lord's work. Remember, turn the TV off, put your cell phone away, sit down at the table, and eat a meal together. And let Christ in you become the Christ that's there at that table, feeding you, healing you, loving you. You're awesome. Okay, let's stand and pray. I believe in one God.